It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. From Amari, Christian, Skyler, Caitlin, Nolade, Jordan, Antonio, Eddie, and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
face unafraid The plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland Just hear those sleigh bells jingling Ring, ting, tingling too Come on, it's lovely weather For a sleigh ride together with you Sing a chorus or two Come on, it's lovely weather For a sleigh ride together with you There's a Christmas party At the home of Farmer Gray It'll be a perfect ending To a perfect day We'll be singing the songs We love to sing Without a single stop At the fireplace While we watch the chestnuts pop There's a happy feeling Nothing in this world can buy When they pass around Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We're going to try and squeeze in as much Christmas music as we can today. We're also going to take a look back at 2021 uh, with the um, editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022, which is out now. Um, Sarah Jansen will be joining me in just a couple of moments. And a little later in the show, we're going to look at... uh, a new book, Cuba, an American story, and we're going to end up in the third half of our three-hour tour with uh, playwright Richard Carulli, author of the new novel, Demitas Divorce. Um, 
Anyway, I mentioned we were going to look back at 2021. We're going to take a deeper dive on that tomorrow when Brendan Beery joins me for the first hour ahead of uh, Armchair Politics to talk about the Supreme Court and, and what it's been up to this year and a look maybe a little bit at next year. And then uh, we're going to do our uh, 2021 in review on armchair politics tomorrow. The following Wednesday, we're going to replay the one from Halloween from uh, the Hell Saloon, the remote that we did um, as part of a look back at 2021 on the show all week next week. But tomorrow we're going to look back at uh, 2021 through the lens of armchair politics and our roundtable regulars. Uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by the author of American Schism, Seth Radwell. And he has some thoughts on the uh, uh, highlights of 2021. Anyway, um, Sarah Jansen, up next. And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is the um, editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, as well as other diverse reference works. Um, She's from the Midwest originally, but currently lives in Brooklyn. She joins me by phone, Sarah Jansen. Sarah, welcome back. It's been, what, a year? It's been a year, you know, around this time we've got the new World Almanac in the store and we get a chance to chat. It's nice to be here. And it's great to have you back. Uh, The World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022 is coming out. Now, it says Book of Facts 2022, but it's really a recap of 2021, isn't it? That's exactly right. So the World Almanac every year does its best to sort of take a look at the past year, all, all of the news that happened and also really everything else going on in the world, and then provide a really great reference for questions on all these subjects you might have um, some interest in for the upcoming year. So that's why we've got the year 2022 on the cover. Um, Sarah, for this edition and the previous edition, was it different putting them together because of uh, because of COVID and, and various lockdowns and quarantines and so on? It was different. You know, the World Almanac uh, changes a lot every year, depending on what's going on in the world. But for the first time, I believe, in our history, um, we're all working remotely. And that's that's still the case. You know, uh, the shutdown started very early here in New York, a lot earlier than um, other places because COVID hit us so hard so early. And our office shut down. And we've just been working remotely this entire time. It's actually been a, an interesting challenge just logistically, but also, um, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, it's uh, a lot to track for sure. And um, just the challenges of putting together a book like this on such a tight deadline every year, um, we just sort of had to, to wrap our heads around the, the new technology and also still keep track of everything that was going on, everything that was changing minute by minute. You know, I've been preparing for some uh, year-in-review uh, stuff for the for the end of the year for my radio show, and I have... Um, I have some notes on 
just the things that happened in the first hundred days. <laughs> it was a busy one, for it, sure. It, well, it really was because, you know, we had, you know, uh, COVID.2 <laughs> um, because everybody thought going into 2021 that we were going to be past COVID and it turned out we weren't. And and of course there were there was the the aftermath of the uh, um, election, the twenty twenty presidential election, and anyway, there were just all these really big things that happened in the first hundred days, and and I was kind of surprised at at how much um, got packed into that first hundred days in twenty twenty one, but it makes me wonder as you look back over the entire year, how do you determine? Which things are the highlights? Because even with with a tome as as big as uh, the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022, you still can't fit in everything that happened. How do you how do you make that selection? You know, it's a really long process. It starts in the beginning in those first hundred days. Actually, we've already started looking at you know, what the 2023 book is going to look like, and it isn't even 2022 yet. So um, it's, a, it's a long process, and you're right. You know, this was a really eventful year. A lot changed. You know, things that we knew were going to change in 2021, like, you know, a presidential inauguration. We knew that was going to happen. We didn't know um, the events that would happen before and around it. And then, of course, you know, all of the other transitions that happen when there's new, a uh, new administration in Washington. So basically, the editors of the World Almanac are really just always trying to stay caught up. And that's not an easy challenge to meet, especially with uh, things seemingly changing minute by minute by some of these uh, crises that we're always tracking. Well, there was the insurrection at the Capitol and other things related to the transition uh, of, of presidential power from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. And so I, I would expect that you knew that those things were going to be, you know, highlighted in the book um, in a big way. But I don't think anybody could have anticipated at the beginning of 2021 that, um, that, that the withdrawal from Afghanistan would become the story it did. I, you know, I was just thinking that also, you know, looking at some of our coverage of 2021, you know, during the campaign, of course, Biden said that the policy on Afghanistan was going to be changing. Um, and of course, there was an agreement signed with the Taliban in 2020 that sort of, you know, made an outline for what withdrawal would look like. But I don't think that anyone... Um, especially back at the beginning of the year, you know, you started hearing a little bit more and in April and May, some of the military leaders were predicting that, uh, things were going off the rails a little bit, um, that, uh, we, we certainly didn't anticipate exactly what things are going to look like later in the summer, especially, you know, once we got into the, the press coverage of the withdrawal, just how bad things got at some of the airports and, and things like that. More about the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022 with editor Sarah Jansen.
straight up. I know I dare everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. From Alicia, Elena, Gabriella, Erica, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022 with editor Sarah Jansen straight ahead. How much of the book, um, Sarah, how much of the book digs down on, on the headlights that, or that the headlines rather, that we were aware of? Um, and, and how much of it were you able to dig up things that maybe weren't as obviously highlights? You know, that's a that's a good question. It would take a while to do an analysis like that, I think, especially when you're talking about, like like we've been saying, the, the things that you could anticipate and the things that you can't. You know, you can anticipate that maybe there are going to be um, some weather crises, some, some emergencies around that, but you can't know, for example, that last February uh, a lot of the state of Texas was frozen solid and, and lost electricity for a while. Um, that's something that became a huge story, especially if you were in the region, but it was a national story for sure. And that was something that, you know, we couldn't have seen coming, but we we had to take a very close look at and, and review um, for the book and also, you know, provide some context. You know, that's what the World Almanac is always trying to do. Um, because we're, we're looking at a lot of the news coverage, and that is a lot of our job, Another part of it, another side of it, is providing context. So, like, statistics that can give um, a little bit of, you know, historic or um, other significance to the things going on in the news. Well, Texas is, is a good one to explore a little bit because it had it had these different parts to it. There was the historic nature of the storm and the ice itself. But then there was this power outage that drew attention to the fact that Texas was on its own grid. Absolutely. And, you know, all of those those sort of interweaving stories were things that we were exploring. Obviously, um, climate disasters have become a huge uh, topic that we've been tracking. You know, it's it's not just in Texas. It's with wildfires out west. It's um, with this horrible, uh, this horrible storm in Kentucky this past week, you know these these disasters are cropping up with greater frequency, and so we have new new climate coverage this year. We've got a lot of uh, contacts just showing, you know, how much things are changing and how quickly. And you know, we've we've been talking a little bit about the transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, but one of the things that, uh, um, one of the aspects of that transition is uh, 
uh, cabinet choices. And um, President Biden has often talked about how diverse his cabinet is. As you as you look back and you compile it for uh, for the almanac, um, how does it compare historically? Is it one of the more diverse cabinets in history? It certainly was one of the more diverse cabinets in history. Um, you know, we do have a fantastic section showing a lot of those administration picks, and also, you know, not just at the cabinet level, but also at the, you know, the agency level. Um, if you just look at the cabinet alone, you have the first, you know, uh, the first gay cabinet secretary and. Pete Buttigieg, you have the first interior secretary who happens to be a Native American woman. That has never happened before. There's never uh, been a Native American cabinet sec- secretary before. So that's a, a, a big deal, and it's in a position where, um, you know, obviously the, the Department of the Interior has a lot of responsibility for a territory that is uh, Indian reservations or otherwise um, needs that that kind of personal level of stewardship that um, that can be given in a very personal way, and I think that that's a that's something that's been significant to communities that haven't had that representation necessarily. Now, one of the things about looking at 2021 for the 2022 book, this is going to get a little confusing, is the 2020 <laughs> census. <laughs> And and the information from the 2020 census starts being available in 2021. But there were uh, some real challenges for the 2020 census because of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, how much of that are, are you able to unpack in what's in the almanac about census data? So, yes, the census data was a real challenge this year. Obviously, they're a huge resource for the World Almanac. You know, there there are people who will get the World Almanac just for their updated census data every year. <laughs> I've, I've definitely heard for the, from them. Um, and it, it really was a challenge, you know, just logistically. Um, funding for the census was also a, a big issue um, going into the 2020 census logistically as far as the data goes for what was available in 2021 it was a lot less than we normally would expect for you know within a certain amount of time after the census and we're we're hoping that as as people get caught up uh you know obviously with the challenges you expect that there are going to be delays we we are hoping that as the the Census Bureau gets caught up on their analysis, we'll be able to provide, you know, all of the usual uh, information that we expect, and then also, you know, they do change things every time and provide new information that we uh, weren't necessarily able to access before. So we're looking forward to uh, taking another look at that in, in the 2023 book. I told you this was going to get complicated. We're talking about 2020, <laughs> 2021, 2022, and now 23. But um, but looking back um, at, at 2020, 
I would think that the Almanac editors' picks uh, for 2020. I, I, I would think that 2020 was almost completely divine, defined by the pandemic. What about the picks that symbolize 2021? What did the editors consider um, the things that are emblematic of 2021? Well, one of the things that we do for every edition is we do an editor's picks list that is a, you know, totally theoretical time capsule. We're not going out to to bury it in a waterproof (laughs) chamber or anything like that. But we put in um, some items that represent the year and whether that's the, you know, bigger stories of the year, like the coronavirus, um, you know, obviously we're going to have things in there to represent that. But we also had some things that were maybe a little bit lower um, on, on people's radars. For example, um, we were able to uh, include a pair of shoes from Alex Trebek, you know, the, <laughs> the Jeopardy host who passed yeah. away last year and whose, whose shoes have been very difficult to fill. <laughs> For a, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were trying them on in 2021, and it's been a, a whole process because it's one of those uh, one of those routines that some people have that you know hasn't changed much for 30 years, and all of a sudden there's there's new people every night. It's a it was kind of an interesting thing to track. Um, not necessarily, you know, the the story that's going to have the greatest impact. But it's one that, you know, people take note of and follow and uh, and certainly is specific to 2021. That's uh, that's interesting. The um, another thing and, and is not just coronavirus, but the vaccine. And that was a big story in 2021. The vaccines weren't approved until December of 2020. So I would I would think that that vaccines and the people who would and wouldn't vaccinate and mask I I would think that have to be a big story from 2021. Absolutely. You know, the the COVID status report that we published has a lot of that information. You know, the, the vaccination rates, not just in here in the United States um, at the state level, but also around the world. Um, you know, it's interesting to think about where we were a year ago today. You know, the first, uh, the first vaccines were going into arms this week last year. And now, uh, a year later, certainly there, the the rates have been high, but maybe not as high in some places as people would have expected, um, especially, you know, as we're looking ahead to, you know, this time last year, hopefully being done with coronavirus. <laughs> uh, that that did not end up happening as, as people were maybe anticipating. And there are a lot of uh, complicated reasons for that, certainly maybe too complicated for, for me to, to pretend to be an expert in, but... I, uh, it's definitely something that we were paying attention to all year and something that, you know, there is data on. You can get a lot of really, um, you know, decent local, state, national, and international data. It's just a question of, you know, what do we think is going to be a good encapsulation of what is happening? What's the status? And it's sort of like a, a way to freeze 
the pandemic and time because, you know, these these pages were developed and, and went to the printer in late October, um, early November, and <laughs> we're only a month and a half later. The book is on, sh- on store shelves, and already things are changing. Already, you know, there's a new variant to yeah. be covered. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, and, and that raises the question, um, you, you know, I do this weekly uh, political roundtable, and one of the pundits sends me an email the day before with a few bullet points, and he always ends the email, and whatever happens in the next 24 hours. And I, and, <laughs> That's right. And I, and I always snicker at that a little bit, but when you're doing a big project like the World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022, which is out now, um, there's this part of the year that, you know, you can't possibly include because you can't be fortune tellers. Um, <laughs> does each edition do uh, um, a recap of, of those things that pick up those those things from the end of the year? Will 2023 include, you know, the, the onset of the Omicron uh, variant and so on? Oh, yes, absolutely. So longtime World Almanac fans will, will know this, but um, in, in our chronology of the year's events, we do have to sneak back and, and look at what happened at November and December <laughs> of the past year, because that's what our, our annual cutoff is. The old and, business you know, chapter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's something that, that I, you know, just personally, as someone who's worked for World Almanac for over 10 years now, you know, you n- just know that as soon as those last pages go to the printer every year, which is usually either right after Election Day or right after the World Series ends, you just know that next week is going to have a big story or there's going to be, you know, a milestone um a milestone person who has died that you didn't, you know, get an obituary in for or something like that. And you just have to, you know, gnash your teeth <laughs> and look <laughs> ahead to the next year. <laughs> yeah, I would I would think you'd have just, just a little bit of catch-up to do at the beginning of each volume to, to handle that, that overlap. Exactly. And, you know, that's just so that... We have that seamless coverage of everything that's happened in the past year. Um, you know, the, the calendar may be unchanging, um, but we don't get to change the, the date of the, the publication of the book because people look forward to having it at the end of every year to see what has happened. So it's uh, always a little bit of a balancing act, but we can. the good thing about having an annual publication is that you know um, that if you didn't get it in last year, you're going to be able to squeeze it in somehow next year. <laughs> you know, you mentioned something a minute ago when you were talking about uh, COVID and vaccines and and global statistics. Um, the book is called The World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022. How We've been talking mostly about U.S. headlines and events that happened in the U.S. How much of it is U.S. and how much of it is global? You know, the proportion, I wouldn't be able to tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, (laughs) to say, you know, 35% is global or, you know, whatever. But but I, I would think your resources are based primarily in the U.S., but I could be wrong about that. 
We are primarily based in the U.S., but we do have um, some folks in other countries that do contribute to the World Almanac every year. Um, there's obviously international news coverage um, that's equal about to, to national news in our chronology of the year's events. Um, and then, of course, we have a really fantastic 100-page section every year that is um, entries of data for every single nation in the world. So from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe, you'll find a, a, an article that has, you know, population and economic data, a little capsule history of every country. And that can be really helpful, I think, for, for people who are interested in the world. Maybe hear, a, you know, a news headline Something's happening in a country you haven't thought of in a while. Um, you can you can go to the World Almanac and find some context there for uh, for giving a little bit of a, a quick review um, of maybe a place that you're not so familiar with. I d I did want to mention we we touched on it sort of parenthetically talking about Afghanistan because the withdrawal from Afghanistan took us all a little bit by surprise, but. Um, there is a, a whole section on the 20 years in Afghanistan. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about that and, and why you thought that was important for the Almanac? Well, you know, it's it was uh, one of those things we were looking at. Um, you know, it's because of the, the deadline nature of our schedule, we sort of had to sneak a couple of pages <laughs> out at the end of the year um, to make sure that we could to cover this very important story. This is a um, military conflict that the United States was involved in for, for 20 years, uh, nearly, and we just felt like it was a, an important thing to cover and give context to in a, in a prominent way, not just the withdrawal, but, you know, everything that went into it. 20 years is a long time, um, four, four different presidents, oversaw the, you know, the administration of the conflict from the U.S. side, and of course way more than that if you add in the coalition forces, of which there were thousands. Um, so it was something that we just really wanted to take an almanac view of, you know, give context, give numbers, uh, give, you know, that sort of bird's eye view of something that you maybe only, you know, see in headlines that, that don't get to that that important and significant uh, contextualization. And any comparisons to when the Soviets left Afghanistan? You know, that's not something I can claim to be an expert in. I'm sure that the author of the uh, Afghanistan feature of the World Almanac would love to be here. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I, again, Sarah, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but as editor, you know a lot more about what's in the book than I do, certainly. For for sure. I am probably the only person that has read this baby cover to cover yet. So. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that I would love to put, to, to put the author of the feature on the phone with you because I'm sure that he would have a lot to say. Uh, it's just not something that I can I can claim any expertise in myself. What were some of the uh, some of the things in the book that that were of uh, tremendous interest to you? Um, one of the things that I really always enjoy working on 
um, just because it's different from everything else we do is putting together the year in pictures, which is, you know, the full color section that, that collects photos. Um, from everything that happened in the past year, um, it's just always nice to get away from the, the data a little bit, to get away from not the news events, because that's, of course, something that we're, we're covering in the year in pictures, but to, to get away from the black and white of it all <laughs> and, uh, and get into full color. And, you know, there are some really amazing photographers out there doing fantastic work, and we were lucky to be able to, to collect a little bit of that in our full color pages. Well, the book is called The World Almanac and Book of Facts 2022, and it's, it's out now, isn't it? You should be able to find World Almanac wherever books are sold, your favorite bookstore, um, any of the usual online sources, and uh, also you can just go to worldalmanac.com and find ordering information there. Now, what's, uh, what's next for you, Sarah? I mentioned that you're the editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, but, uh, but, but you work on some other reference things as well. Um, what's next for you, and, and where can people find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future? So we have a lot of interesting new World Almanac books coming up. Um, we have a fun new kids book called the World Almanac Book of Why, which is a book of questions and answers on tons of fun subjects. I think that um, that's going to be a really interesting one for for longtime fans of the World Almanac. It's full color. A, a ton of fun to flip through and jump around in. We also have a really great new book on national parks coming out uh, this spring, which I think is going to be a great resource for people. Um, and you can find all of that uh, is available for pre-order online as well. And and do you have a website? I don't personally have a website. No, I've, I'm just working on a on World Almanac and World Almanac stuff, so <laughs> I'm behind everything you see there, for sure. And and what is the website for that? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, you cut out for a second. Yeah, there, there was a little little click or something. Um, but uh, what is the website for the World Almanac? WorldAlmanac.com, or you can go to SkyhorsePublishing.com. Well, that's easy. Sarah, thanks so much. It's always so much fun to talk to you, and, and there's always so much to talk about that we never really get to all of it. But thank you for, for sharing uh, all of this information in the book and a little bit of information with me and the listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'll look forward to talking again in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That was uh, Sarah Jansen. She is the editor of the World Almanac and Book of Facts, as well as other diverse uh, reference works. She is the co-author of Under the Covers and Between the Sheets, Facts and Trivia about the World's Greatest Books. Um, again, uh, I'll mention, as I did in the introduction, she is a uh, native of the Midwest, but uh, currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program the Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com We 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
thetomsumnerprogram.com. From Haley, Alex, Alexis, help! And the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mark Beardsley in Middle America for Off the Cuff. A Charlie Brown Christmas is, contrary to the popular imagination, not a celebration of Christmas present, but a daring excoriation of the gutter-dwelling decadence to which Christmas has sunk under the iron grip of capitalism. The beloved 1965 cartoon portrays such capitalist tenets as greed, gluttony, and growth as both anti-Christian and anti-nature, and as antithetical to the individual human's need for substance and value, worth and meaning. Some say that in the end, a Charlie Brown Christmas is an affirmation of the true meaning of Christmas as embodied by the birth of Jesus given Linus's scriptural recitation and the closing musical number of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But that reaches into the realms of the supernatural, and one cannot be sure precisely what Charles Schultz's vision was in this regard. He was most probably a Christian seeking renewed emphasis on the divine elements of the Christian myth, but in this program Schultz does not proselytize so much as he does lament the disintegration of the holiday into the frenzied spendthrift commercialism we know all too well today. This program also subtly attacks the empty-headed superficiality that surrounds the holiday. Finally, it prognosticates the emasculation of the philosophical and metaphysical fruit of the holiday at the hands of the capitalist exploitation that has rendered Christmas bereft of profound spiritual, emotional, and intellectual meaning. Charlie Brown literally cries out in anguish for someone, anyone, to provide him with some enlightening substance. This anguished existential cry is itself the literary and philosophical basis of Schultz's story that even the tradition as ancient and sacred and powerful, widely believed and spiritually uplifting as the Christian myth lacks the strength to stand against the commoditization wrought by the indifferent and inexorable march of capitalism. This is demonstrated in several key scenes. That Charlie Brown is looking for something to give the Christmas season meaning is obvious from the beginning when Linus observes that Charlie Brown has a unique knack of taking a wonderful season like Christmas and turning it into a problem. But what is the nature of this problem? Does it simply begin and end with Charlie Brown's depression, his lack of fulfillment, his confusion, 
his need for involvement as Lucy diagnoses? No, the nature of his problem, that is, the character's sense of emptiness over the capitalist venality that has overtaken Christmas, comes in three successive scenes. First, Lucy confides to him that she understands his depression because she never gets what she really wants for Christmas. And what is that? Real estate. Now, I wonder, why would a little girl eschew toys and bicycles and clothes for real estate? I wonder, to what propaganda has this little girl been subjected? Second, Charlie Brown comes upon Snoopy, who tells him via a note that he is decorating his doghouse to find the true meaning of Christmas, that is, to win money, money, money in a neighborhood lights and display contest. Charlie Brown's dismayed response is, Oh no, my own dog gone commercial. I can't stand it. In these two scenes, we begin to see the emergence of Charlie Brown's problem with Christmas, and that his problem is related to the capitalistic elements of the holiday. Then, in the third crucial scene, we are hit right between the eyes when Charlie Brown throws up his hands and his pen and paper in despair when even his baby sister asks Santa Claus for tens and twenties. Clearly, Charlie Brown's problem with Christmas is capitalism. It is not that some merchants use the term Xmas to identify Christmas, or that there are not enough nativity scenes on publicly owned property, or that secular humanists are waging some sort of invisible war on Christmas. No, it is that even Charlie Brown's baby sister has been indoctrinated to believe that Christmas is essentially an exercise in capitalism. Sally is confused, but she speaks directly to this point by rationalizing in pure innocence. All I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. For Charlie Brown, Christmas has become about acquisition, about wealth, money, and greed. That is the nature of his problem. As if this were not enough evidence, there comes the scene when Charlie Brown begins to break down, but has not yet cried out. And Lucy tells him, straight out, the harsh truth. Look, Charlie, let's face it. We all know that Christmas is a big commercial racket. It's run by a big Eastern syndicate, you know. For poor Charlie Brown, then, who stands in the wake of this capitalist broadside, there seems to be nothing enriching left to him about the holiday season, emotionally or intellectually. And herein lies the existentialist angst, the emptiness, the desolation, the void. He confesses to Lucy, I am in sad shape. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Instead of feeling happy, I feel sort of let down. But cruel Lucy is acquiescent. She couldn't care less. Instead of feeling Charlie Brown's pain, Lucy demands that he pay in advance staring menacingly at him until he does, and then exulting in the beautiful sound of cold, hard cash. Charlie Brown's thirst for intellectual fulfillment and his disdain for superficiality are made clear in the scene in which Frida complains that the dust of pig pen is taking the curl out of her naturally curly hair. 
Don't think of it as dust, Charlie Brown tells her. Think of it as maybe the soil of some great past civilization. Maybe the soil of ancient Babylon. It staggers the imagination. You may be carrying soil that was trod upon by Solomon. Or even Nebuchadnezzar. Like Lucy, Frida is unmoved. And she continues to complain that Pigpen is an absolute mess. The utter aloneness of the individual, an essential element of existentialism, is demonstrated when the entire cast turns on Charlie Brown for his choice of Christmas tree. This solitude is amplified when nature herself also seems to turn away from him. Whenever he touches the tree, it sheds more and more of its needles. Finally, even when warmed by the hope offered by Linus's soliloquy about peace on earth and goodwill towards men being what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown places an ornament on the tree and it droops over, causing him to lament, I've killed it, oh, everything I touch gets ruined. There is no religious redemption for Charlie Brown, but there is salvation. It comes only when he dismisses all the capitalist constructs that had kept him in thrall. Linus is right, he says. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. Then he comes upon Snoopy's first prize winning light and display contest entry. Still, Charlie Brown remains undeterred, repeating, Oh well, this commercial dog is not going to ruin my Christmas. His ultimate salvation arrives in the form of friends who really do like him after all, and who help him spruce up his Christmas tree. The Christian underpinnings to this scene are meaningless to Charlie Brown. What matters to him is the renewed welcome that he receives from his friends, and the relegation of commercial considerations to the background. When Lucy tells the assemblage, Charlie Brown is a blockhead, but he did get a nice tree. This juxtaposition of images portrays the preeminence of both Christianity, as demonstrated by the music, and the natural world, as symbolized by the living Christmas tree, over the soulless machinations of the modern capitalist spirit. It is a small victory for Charlie Brown, admitted, but little victories are what keep many of us going day after day and year after year. So, on that note, to all you listeners of Off the Cuff, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is Mark Beardsley in Middle America for Off the Cuff.
trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. The Tom Sumner 